Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a berry delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Hey, everybody. It's Dave here, and I wanted to talk about the food that I miss the most. Can't travel anymore. I know some people do, but internationally, that's been limited because of COVID. And all of our eating habits have changed. Don't need to talk about that. We're all living it. But the thing that I think about a lot is not super high-end sushi, which I do think about. The food that I miss the most that I would get on a plane to eat if I could and find an excuse to go is to get to Beijing, Shanghai as well, and to eat Peking duck. Real Peking duck, authentic Peking duck, and there's certain variations of that in China is something that I have not seen done nearly as well here in America. I haven't really pursued it in Canada or Australia. Both of those countries have extraordinarily good Chinese food. But when I had my first Peking duck and I learned that a lot of the Peking ducks that we eat here in America are like just roasted ducks. It's, it's delicious, but it's not as exquisite or meticulously prepared as proper Peking duck, where it's cooked over jujube wood, and we filmed it in Ugly Delicious in the, uh, I believe, the barbecue episode. But the whole process of these ducks is something that we just don't have in America. Number one, basically the ass of the duck is still intact, and it's sewed up. So there's no giant hole at the bottom of the duck. They take like a triangle incision, I believe, of the left wing of the duck, and it's a tiny, tiny hole, and they extract all the innards almost like how they make mummies, I would guess. And that's it. There's no giant hole, no cavity. And without going too much into the process of it, the science of it too, is they then baste it in boiling water to seal up the skin and they air dry it. And then they put a maltose solution on it. We can talk about the food science another day. And it's a long process to prepare the ducks before it goes into the fire. But that process, which I think was really accurately depicted in The Pursuit of Perfection by Heston Blumenthal, the BBC um, television series where they tried to recreate the Peking duck unsuccessfully, is something that is very, very difficult to do. And there's alchemy involved because what happens is the skin gets fatty, crisp, and delicate in a way that is like no other texture in food I've ever experienced in my life. It's so fragile. And when you carve the duck and there's all this lore about how many slices of skin and how many cuts you can get out of the duck itself. And if you're not familiar with Peking duck, it's usually served with some kind of pancake 
with some kind of hoisin sauce, some scallions, and you peel, you sort of carve out skin of the duck. That's this crispy, beautiful skin that like shatters. It's to me one of the most sublime things anybody could ever consume. So delicious. And there's a gap between, a tiny gap between the skin and the meat of the duck. And you peel the duck with a knife, a special duck knife, carve it out. And then you start to peel and cut away strands of the duck meat, the duck breast. And then oftentimes with a bone, you can make, um, I've seen anything from sort of lettuce cups to soups, like a duck broth uh, that's served with the meal. And in the super high-end Peking duck houses, you don't even make your Peking duck roll. That is made for you by the server, the, the person that's carving the duck. And they dole it out one by one. And sometimes they have this like, almost like this Indian puri puri that's like puffed cracker where you crack the top of it and you stuff it with the duck. That's delicious. Another new thing I think is new is slices of garlic and sugar. So there's a little bit of sugar and you're supposed to first dip your duck skin into the sugar and then eat it. I'm not that jazzed about it because I don't think you need any condiments. Just eating that skin is delicious. And then these delicately made pancakes that are so thin. They're so fragile too. And a little bit of sauce, a little bit of scallion, a little bit of cucumber, like all julienne, beautiful knife work, a little bit of the breast meat and some skin and wrap it up and it's wrapped for you. The server really never touches it. They do it all with chopsticks and they give it to you. It's one of the best bites you can ever have. And I, I, I don't mean to talk forever about the eating of a proper Peking duck because it's something you should enjoy. And I think I've just done a shitty job of explaining it all. What I wanted to tell you is this is why I love to travel. It's food that I have yet to find done nearly as well. There are places that do it well, but not as well as they do it in China. In New York City, there's a, a restaurant called Hutong that's in the Bloomberg building. And that was probably the best Peking duck I've had in North America. I think we've talked about it on this podcast. And all it did was make me want to go back to China. Shanghai's got great Peking duck as well. I know that there's other places in China that have great Peking duck. And a lot of these Peking duck houses are chains. And we're going to talk about it next week where in Asia, having a chain restaurant isn't seen as a bad thing. Many of them have like more Michelin stars and ratings and beloved by the cities that they're in as much as a small independent restaurant. So there's no variation between independent and chain restaurant. But a lot of these Peking duck houses that I've been to are you know, have multiple locations. And I just miss it, man. And I'm, I'm just letting you guys know that if I had the opportunity, I would go straight to China. And I've been dreaming about eating Peking duck. And I don't need to, to, to anger anybody about what's the best Peking duck house. There's so many. There really are. Some are tourist traps. Some are not necessarily hole in the walls, but they're, you know, secrets. And I am far from being an expert in Peking duck, but I do love eating it and I miss it. It's the food that I miss the most. And it's a food that cannot be delivered. It absolutely cannot be delivered. And someone told me recently, they just went to someone's house and they made Peking duck. I bet you, you can do it. And I bet you it was pretty good, but I didn't taste it. But that's a lot of work. This is the kind of work that I would never want to do at home. It's better in the provenance of a restaurant. And 
you know, if you get a roast duck, like a Cantonese roast duck, that's one thing to get delivered. But Peking duck has to be eaten in the restaurant, has to be done a la minute in the moment. And of all the things I miss, that's the one thing I can't have. I miss it. I've talked endlessly about it. I will shut up. But man, I wish all of you guys to taste it if you haven't already. And uh, let's pray for that day where we can all eat Peking duck again. I will shut up. Let the show go on. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Dome Media. I am Dave. I'm joined with Chris Yang, Isaac Lee, supercomputer producer, and we're going to get into some mailbags. And um, I think we might have some good questions. I think some of the questions might have been very negative to Chris Yang. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, let's just jump right into this thing. Okay. Uh, we got a we've people have been busy sending us emails and and leaving reviews with questions. Uh, so we'll get to as many as we can today. Catherine Hong asks, Dear Dave. Did you grow up eating Japanese curry, and how do you feel about it? Growing up in my Korean-American household, we ate a lot of golden curry prepared as per the standard directions with cubes of meat, potatoes, and carrots over rice. I still love the stuff, though I now realize that golden curry blocks are basically curry-flavored lard. If you do make Japanese curry at home, how exactly do you like to make it? Is there a way to improve on the box recipe? I hope you don't say to add cheese because I think that's effing gross. Well, Kathy, you'd be... Surprised to find out that I actually made Japanese curry for lunch today in the morning. So right after I make Hugo's breakfast, I make lunch for everybody because usually I'm on calls and uh, I want to have stuff that you can sort of sandbag and reheat. And I have grown up eating golden curry. So it is not curry in the traditional uh, sense of the word. And I don't think anyone that is Indian would say that it is traditional curry. It is a bastardization from the Japanese. Um, in Japan, you do have Japanese curry houses and they're amazing and they do make it from scratch. And I have a very delicious Japanese curry recipe that I will never make because there's probably 50 fucking ingredients <laughs> and <laughs> apples and all kinds of shit. And it is by far and away the best curry recipe that is Japanese because there's no such thing as curry in Indian food. But this is, again, a Japanese thing. It is become synonymous in, in Japanese culture and Korean American culture where you get these effectively like curry bouillon cubes. And I've grown up eating it my entire life. My, my grandfather loved eating it. I made it this morning. I sauteed out some carrots, onions, ginger, garlic, potatoes, and then got a little color, and then I added some water, and I thought I was going to make it vegetarian, and then I decided to add some frozen pork that I had. And I did half a brick of the four, four cubes, and it's going to be delicious. I did take out some of the broth just for Hugo because it's something that he can eat. And you eat it with rice and some pickles. It is sublime. And yes, I can make it from scratch, but I choose not to. And I don't care if it's full of MSG, which it is, or other kind of emulsifiers, which it is. It is something I've grown up eating. I'm not ashamed of. I've been waiting to do a normal pot video on Instagram about the, the joys of instant Japanese curry because it is 
in my opinion, one of the most consistent, easiest things you can make. And uh, it's very, very delicious. Isaac Lee, what do you say? I love it as well. You know, the way that I've described it to people is that curry is Indian. It's, it's, that's curry. That's a genre of food. Kare is what we're talking about, which is the, the Japanese, you know, and now also Korean brand of like, it's basically a sauce for your rice that's amazing. And it has a bunch of other things in it. And um, <laughs> it, it is one of the easiest things that you can quote unquote cook because all you have to do is just make rice <laughs> and just pour that on top of it and you're done. That's Isaac, the amount of cooking descri- that it requires. Your description of curry is incredible. It's basically sauce for your rice with things in it. <laughs> with things in it. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. They should put I, you that know, on the box. Can you tell I've been, I've been <laughs> producing a cooking podcast for three years? <laughs> dude, first of all, Dave is 100% right. There's zero shame in Japanese boxed instant curry. Like, zero shame absolutely. whatsoever. Like, that stuff, the Japanese have absolutely mastered this brand, like, home cooking stuff, packaged sauces and things like that. Can I say something interesting, though, about the Japanese-Indian sort of connection do you guys think that there is mm-hmm. any yeah but it comes through aware of a different a third party no i i, I so this is going to seem like a, a a random side note but it isn't um I, my japanese is weirdly better than my korean and there are some korean words that are similar to india but when i was filming ugly delicious and i was with asha gomez and we we're in kerala the southern region I was hearing Tamil, the language, the dialect of, of that region, and I kept on thinking, God, it's so weird. It sounds Japanese and some words sound Korean. Is there any kind of relation? And sure enough, and I mean, it's debated that there is overlap. And somehow there's mm. belief that a lot of the, the language of Japan and Korea has its origins in the Tamil alphabet. Hmm. Very interesting. Mm. Very interesting. And I, I think that it's not that crazy if you think about it. If you think how, how Indian flavors and spices probably follow the route, the root of Buddhism. Mm. Mm-hmm. Over 2,000 plus years ago, it would make sense that a lot of the words, you know, again, I'm not a linguistics expert, but, you know, with my own ears, I was like, wow, there's a lot of fucking similarities. And it's not crazy that there is an argument that some of the origins of the Japanese language are associated and introduced by the Tamils who traveled 7,000 some kilometers from Japan to the Yayo period two millennia ago. So there Mm -hmm. you go. I think maybe this connection of Japanese curry is not that insane. That's a good point about religion being part of the, the spread of cuisine. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. I mean, like Buddhism drove and like sort of vegetarianism in Japan drove so much right. of the, the culinary development there. Can I say a, a dumber thing about Japanese curry boxes? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Catherine's asking if there's any sort of ways to improve the thing. I don't really think there are, except I like to do it with braised pork shoulder and use the broth Ooh. from the braised pork shoulder. And so we'll braise a whole thing, freeze it, and then we can just defrost hunks of pork with broth anytime to have Japanese curry. And if I accidentally buy the spicy kind and I'm trying to feed it to my kids, a little milk and honey in there softens Ooh, that right man. out. And then they're, they're good to go. Um, here's another one, uh, another question. Laura Sutter works for a 
Swiss cheese company, and her job is to Americanize Swiss recipes um, <laughs> using cheese. And she points to a, a recipe for raclette with fresh figs. At first glance, it sounds tasty. The ultimate melting cheese uh, with figs. Sign me up. But in this recipe, you are instructed to microwave baby lettuce. I am not a huge fan of cooked lettuce anyway. I was glad when grilled romaine stopped being the it item. To put it in the microwave seems truly insane to me. As a chef and a diehard lover of the microwave, I need to know uh, what you think of this. What's up with uh, microwave lettuce, Chang? Mm, to be honest, I've never tried it. <laughs> so this recipe, she's, it's basically like you take a bunch of little leaves, I'm reading it, and you put cheese on top, and then you microwave the whole damn thing. I got to say, I'm with Laura. It seems a little, I'm a little skeptical, but Chang, would you, would you do a little microwave lettuce microwaving experiment for us? And, and I mean, and I could, back? but, but here, if, I haven't done it yet, and I'm sure it would be delicious. And I microwave most of my vegetables these days. And going back to curry, I actually make, I don't know what's going on. Maybe I've been spending too much time in California already, but it's every, there's almost like, there's no meat in my curry today. It's, it's all vegetarian. I'm so, so embarrassed. Um, <laughs> but um, in, in terms of microwaving lettuce, I, I'm sure it would work. But to me, why I like to stir fry, and I, 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 I stir fry my iceberg lettuce because I want the wok hay. I want a little bit of that burn mm -hmm. element. So that's why I continue to do it. But I'm sure that would work. And raclette is one of the most underrated. If we're doing overrated, underrated, underrated cheeses <laughs> in the world. And hey, by the way, wow. can you pluralize cheese to cheeses or is it just cheese? Cheeses. I think it's cheeses. Or is that like Cheddar. pluralizing geeses? <laughs> well, geese is the plural of goose. <laughs> But you I know cheese is not cheese. Did I just say if I say cheeses, <laughs> did I just say geeses? <laughs> I don't know if those two words are like linguistically related. Here's an assortment of cheeses. Here's an assortment of cheddar cheeses. Not cheeses is fine. I think cheeses. I think cheeses is cheeses, yeah, I think cheeses that's fine. be fine. Cheeses be fine. Cheeses be well, fine. <laughs> well, because cheese itself is singular, so you need to make it plural, whereas goose is the singular and geese is the plural. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's stay on this language topic because it's bearing such wonderful fruit here evan hyun says hey dave my name is evan hyun oh, pronounced hyun and not hun like how the white guy in the hyundai commercial says hyundai uh if you're <laughs> yeah. korean you know how to properly pronounce it uh anyway i wanted your opinion on what you think about the sports media who often pronounce the miss the, the name of the korean kicker from the atlanta falcons uh, uh young way ku Young Hui Ku. Uh, yeah. As a Korean American, I'm sure you know the proper way to pronounce his name is Young Hui Ku, or in Korean, Ku Young Hui. Why did we pick the Chinese guy to read this question? <laughs> However, I've heard a number of sports media guys uh, who are obviously not Korean or Asian because we haven't broken into that field yet call his name by how it is phonetically spelled, which results in Young Ho. In your opinion, do you think they are butchering his name the way a typical high school substitute teacher does when he or she takes roll call? Which is somewhat yeah. innocent, or do you think they're butchering his name on purpose? No, they're they're butchering it exactly like the Key and Peel episode where it's D Nice or A A Rock. Mm. They literally mm -hmm. are doing that to Korean his name, and yeah. um, you know it's going to take time before that doesn't happen. Basically, so Isaac's Korean is infinitely better than mine. How do you pronounce it? For the record, it's Ku Younghui. That's that's his name, Younghui Ku. Um, I've met him. He he was on Bill's show a couple of years ago, I think. But in general, I have, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I think announcers should be doing a much better job at pronouncing people's names. 
at the very least, do your best effort to get the even the anglicized version of this right. The prime example of this, this is something that I harp on many, many times, Luka Doncic. His name, you don't have to say it in the in a way that like honors the original language, but at least get it close. People saying Doncic or Donkic, like it's ridiculous. It's not difficult to say Doncic. I'm not even saying it in an Eastern European accent. I'm just saying his name as close to it in English, in the anglicized version as I can make it. It's ridiculous when when reporters or or announcers just don't even do their due diligence to get it close. Like Giannis Antetokounmpo, it's a tough name, I get it, but he's one of the best players in the NBA. Say his name right. Say his name cor- like as close to correctly as you can. Put some fucking respect on his name, motherfuckers. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Got it. That's what I'm saying. I mean, if you respect these people, then at least you'll get their names right. It's a it's a common courtesy, and it's just like. If you can say Sean, right, S-E-A-N, and you can see that and say it's Sean, you should be able to say Doncic. Like, that's just how I feel. Uh, Speaking of coup, I picked him up. I'm dead last in the Bill Simmons Fantasy League, the Keeper League, and it is embarrassing. I usually win. I usually win. I'm at least Mm. always in the finals. And again, I have 12 other people that think, Bill, why'd you bring this, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Bill, seriously? I feel so ashamed, but I just want this great Atlanta kicker to know should be all pro in my opinion this year. Mm-hmm. Bill Simmons cut you. Oh, <laughs> are you listening? Young I picked you up because this guy tried to trade you to me and he had two kickers. <laughs> I think he picked up Nick Folk. He picked up Nick Folk over you, mm. and he's going to give you some excuse like it was a bye week. I may have totally lost this dismal embarrassment of a season, but I can hold this up as my one positive that I picked you up, <laughs> and you are by far and away every week my leading scorer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's he a sad statement for well. your team. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say for the record that as an employee of the Bill Simmons Media Group, that um, Dave Chang's views do not reflect my own. And uh, <laughs> please, <laughs> I, I, I am, I am content group. with the way that Bill Simmons operates any of his fantasy teams and horse company. Anyways. Um, okay. Andy Fink. Brace yourself. I'm that white guy who makes kimchi. I work very hard to find authentic ingredients. I even order uh, organic gochugaru from Korea. My kimchi has been very well received by customers and even Korean friends. Nevertheless, I still struggle with imposter syndrome, and it's very important to me that I'm not appropriating but rather honoring. How do I stand in confidence of my own product and do better to be authentic and further the conversation? P.S. I'm a huge fan, so try not to rip me to shreds too much. What, what, what's his name? Andy Fink. Andy Fink. Well, uh, <laughs> that PS really made it hard. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. Listen, I, 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 over my my opinion has changed over the years on this, and there was a point where I was a militant, angry person. Not a surprise, but I was like, if you're a white guy or white woman, you can't make this right. You can't put it on the menu. Because it was like all of a sudden you're seeing it all over the place. We don't have to regurgitate all the history of, of kimchi being made fun of now widely accepted and popular. 
my current opinion is I have to do what I don't want to do. If I believe in a world of diversity, if I, I believe in a world of inclusion, if I believe a, a world of honor, that is merit-based, then I have to not have my original belief and I need to support the people that are making kimchi, even in the moments where I think that it's bad. I don't want to because I have to hold out hope that if kimchi is to be truly mainstream, that it won't really penetrate unless it is adopted by white people. And, you know, we use this back to the future Marvel universe going back in time analogy too much. But if I make fun of Andy Fink and saying, don't make kimchi, I could turn him into one of the greatest antagonists to Korean culture instead of one of the greatest supporters of it. And I can't have anybody download all the pain, history, and suffering that Korean people have endured or Korean immigrants have endured, not just in America, but all over the world overnight. To learn and acquire that knowledge is going to take time. So if somebody wants to make kimchi, they may do it very poorly. They might have just been like, I'm doing it right now and I've never done it before. And I need and I, not just me, I think we need to find the time and the patience to encourage them to continue to make it. Because I always look at this as an example, as bad as it is, as Eminem in hip hop, right? <laughs> there, was a, there was a time, we need, we need the Eminem of kimchi. You know, there was a period where he, people would have a hard time arguing against that he was the most prolific, best rapper in the world. And I think that it, it, you had a lot of kids that were not black and I remember in college listening to hip hop for the first time. It was unfortunate that it wasn't the forefathers of hip hop, but it had to be Eminem. But I do know that a lot of white suburban kids listen to Eminem for the first time, maybe never listen to hip hop truly ever again. But a lot of them, it was their point of entry to the rich, beautiful history of hip hop. And, and, and that's why yes. if, if kimchi is that entry point to Korean culture, then that's what it's got to be. I just feel that you got to, again, trust the process. And if you don't want to embarrass yourself or anger people, really put in the work and show that you care about it. And you're learning about the history. You're learning about the different dynasties and the occupation of Korea and all the sorrow, because most of Korean history is sorrow. So if you're going to mm -hmm. learn about kimchi, you have to learn about Korean history. That is not negotiable. And that's all I ask. Yeah, if I may chime in here for a second, the Eminem analogy is pretty apt because Eminem, white rapper, obviously, but he was also co-signed by Dr. Dre, one of the forefathers of modern hip hop. And that's important is that he was doing it in conjunction with the black community who pioneered the genre. And it's also important to note that the difference between, I mean, this is not an original observation, but cultural appropriation, cultural appreciation Appropriation and appreciation are both financial terms. Appropriation is, is to take away finances. Appreciation is to increase finances. So thinking in terms of, am I taking away the economic opportunity of a Korean person to make kimchi? Or am I serving the, the community in a way that somebody with the cultural background could do instead of me? That's an important question to ask. Like, even as an Asian person, I used to work in hip hop. I'm like, am I doing something that a black person could be doing? Those are important questions to keep asking and keep wrestling and to keep grappling with because the difference is pretty, you could find it to be trivial or, or minimal, but it has consequences and it has consequences of legacy. Like it is important as Davis Chang, as Davis saying, if you're a white person making kimchi 
and white people are introduced to kimchi because of you who otherwise wouldn't have, then you're doing appreciation. That is a service to the, the furthering of Korean culinary culture. Whereas if you're doing something that would be taking away, then it's not. It's the opposite. I like to think about Dave's alter ego, his white alter ego, Davis. Davis Chang. <laughs> Davis uh, Chang. Hey, let me. So Andy, Andy's asking a question. It's interesting because this podcast generally and this sort of Ask Dave format always puts Dave in the authoritative driver's seat. But I, I would I would say, Andy, you should listen to Dave's conversation with Eddie Huang because mm-hmm. Dave made chili crunch and Eddie called out the packaging on on Instagram to be like, hey, this is a Chinese thing. Are you giving props? And I think while Dave is Dave is right, I mean, you tell me if you if you feel differently, Chang, but I think figuring out the answer to this question, which is like, how do I present my product confidently and honor like some of the inspirations is still an ongoing process for you to yeah, figure out. No, but, but it's also like, I know what we did and why we did it. And there was no hiding. It said, we're, we are trying to honor it. And it's also, we're not just trying to honor that. We're trying to honor salsa matcha, salsa seca, and the chili oils that I grew up with. And again, it's, it's not something that was like, oh, we're not talking about it. We were talking about it. And I'm glad that Eddie was going to hold us accountable. And I feel that we, you know, had a very productive conversation about it. I think what is more important is actually maybe a podcast that we did a while back is David Sloshers of Shibumi mm. in downtown LA. I was just LA. thinking about that, yeah. He is a perfect example of someone that I think is underappreciated. And, and again, he's a white guy, but he has spent his adult career in learning and mastering the art of Japanese kapo cuisine and kapo yori. And, you know, I don't think there's another white guy in the world making chinmi, the salted delicacies that you eat with sake. That restaurant is phenomenal. And he is doing something that no other Japanese person I know is doing. He's, he's educating and he's preserving a kind of food that is unavailable and he's very, very importantly preserving this. And, and I think that is a perfect example. And if you do do this, you know, continue to make kimchi, Mr. Fink. I think you should just, again, pour yourself into it. Don't do it half-assed, right? You should do it mm-hmm. where if someone questions you, you can be like, I'm glad that you're questioning me. You should question me. But let me explain to you what I've done to do this correctly. And if it's what I'm saying doesn't move you or doesn't change your opinion, what can I do to change your mind? That's what I would say. Here, here. But by the way, it better taste fucking good. That's the bottom <laughs> line, right? It's got to right. taste fucking good. And actually, you should, like, I think, Dave, you bring it up. You got to be your harshest critic. It doesn't matter if, like, your, your customers and your Korean friends say it's good. And if you label it, this is where you go bad. If you label and you do, like, dragon font and fucking shit like <laughs> that, th- then I will not be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Today's episode of The Day Chang Show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. For a lot of us, our home is now more than just our home, including myself. I have conference calls with restaurants. I'm doing this podcast. We're trying to make TV shows, work and home life. There is no separation anymore. So if you're a business owner or a people manager, home might also be where you're doing your hiring. That's where ZipRecruiter comes in. ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier because you can do it all from one convenient place. ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. No matter where you're hiring from, ZipRecruiter does the work for you. How? ZipRecruiter's matching technology scans thousands of resumes and profiles to identify the most qualified people for your job. If you're really interested in a candidate, you can even invite them to apply for your job. With one click, ZipRecruiter sends them an email from you and you stand out from the competition. It's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang, C-H-A-N-G. All you need is Wi-Fi to try it for free. That's it. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter the smartest way to hire. All right, moving on. Ocean Moore says, Hi, my name is Ocean. Have you ever messed around with cooking with THC? I just made some fried chicken inspired by your discussion with Asha Gomez, and I made some THC-infused coconut oil and used that to finish. Uh, I'll never forget this chicken. It brought tears to my eyes when I was eating it cold after a long day at work. No, no I don't. No pot cooking. I, I don't. I don't cook with THC. That that is just not something I do. I gotta um, say, I don't even understand the appeal. No, all the uh, no. I, I, I listen. I, I I'm not trying to diminish anyone that is dedicated to doing it. I'm sure there are a lot of people, but that's just not an ingredient that I would use in cooking at all. Um, and I would much rather do it in a professional, controlled setting. Hmm. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think the flavor is no, great. Nor do I think no. the effect of eating it. While no. you're eating dinner makes sense to me. Like, don't no, you want to just no. like have the munchies and then eat? Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm sure it was delicious. I hope you had a good time, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not thinking about this question anymore. <laughs> okay. Uh, Olivia Tran. Hi, Dave. This is a common topic for me and the people I meet. I'm Vietnamese. However, I was born and raised in Australia. I recently moved to Paris and I'm also in a relationship with the French guy. That's her exclamation mark, not mine. I learned in the first couple of months that my partner prefers sweet breakfast over savory. I'm a very much savory mm. gal. I grew up with kanji, komtam, banh mi, and noodles for breakfast. I never find a croissant or pan au chocolat. Holy shit, I can't pronounce any more things. Satisfying enough for me. <laughs> <clears throat> Thought this might be a fun topic to hear you and Chris talk about. Savory versus sweet breakfast, well, the, Chang. The, well, again, the European breakfast to me, the French, particularly the Italian breakfast, is uh, an espresso, cigarette, and croissant. Um <laughs> 
And it's a great breakfast, especially when I was smoking cigarettes. I was like, yes, give me some Galois Reds <laughs> and a fucking double espresso. Let's go. Um, you don't even need the fucking croissant. That, that, that is just cigarettes and coffee, magical combination. I think the French understand food and they get it. <laughs> they, they do it right. <laughs> but the whole idea of the, 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 the croissant and savory items and sweet muffins, this is something that we're talking about and working on on, on our new Hulu show. I'm not trying to diminish it. I'm not a pancakes person. I just don't understand sweet breakfast. I don't understand why the world hasn't adopted or embraced noodle soups for breakfast. I think one of the reasons why people love low country Southern breakfast is because it tastes good and it's not fucking traditional breakfast. Eating a Mm -hmm. bowl full of grits, besides its history to slavery and chicken biscuits and biscuits and sauces and gravy, all these delicious things. They're delicious because they had a real purpose, but they're not sweet. There's like substance to them. And I really enjoy Asian breakfast. I also enjoyed my breakfast when I traveled the world, uh, when I was in Morocco or Marrakesh for the first time. I was like, wow, these breakfasts are phenomenal. It seems to me the entire world, with the exception of America, England, and Western Europe, has nailed breakfast. And everyone else, you know, the, the, the Western world has really dropped the ball. So I think you should tell your, your boyfriend, you know, give him an ultimatum. Change your breakfast <laughs> or we're over. Um, I don't want to insult Frenchy, their audiences. Frenchie. <laughs> Frenchie. Good God. Oh, my God. Um, I don't want to insult our audience's intelligence here, but uh, could you explain really quickly? Because I think this is new information to a lot of Western people. Like... Breakfasts around the world generally tend to be savory, not sweet, outside of America. Again, as you said, America, England, and Western Europe. Yeah, because we're not controlled by the sugar and cereal. The sh- and, yeah. And McDonald's. <laughs> the sugar lobby. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know what's always a, a, a supreme bummer to me is when I'm traveling somewhere and the hotel says, we offer a continental breakfast. God damn continental breakfast. Yeah. That's the worst. You know, you know what's insane if you think about it in a nutshell how bad American breakfasts are? A Pop-Tart was designed for breakfast. When nobody yeah. I know, I love Pop-Tarts, but I ain't eating it for fucking breakfast. <laughs> That's a dessert. <laughs> it doesn't feel right. Uh I'm with you, Chang. I'm a I'm a savory breakfast person, but I can get down with pigs in a blanket, dipped in a little syrup. That's I'll I'll get down with that. That's not for breakfast. breakfast dude. Pigs in a blanket isn't breakfast. Sausage in a pancake. Where did you learn? Where, where, where in the world is pigs in a blanket breakfast? That's for when I was college hors d'oeuvres when you're in like some some <laughs> no crappy way. building, and then you're, you're trying. You're you know your your professors are trying to host some stupid fucking cocktail reception, and <laughs> that's, that's where you get pigs in a blanket. That's way more specific. I'm talking about McDonald's big breakfast. You get flapjacks and sausage, and you put one hand together with yeah, the other hand. Yeah, that's breakfast. That's not pigs in a blanket, man. You're in the food What's, world. What do you mean that's not pigs in a pigs? Sausage wrapped in a pancake's not pigs in a blanket? Oh, God. Am I wrong? Oh, God. On the classical formulaic sense, it is pigs in a blanket. It's literally oh pork in, oh in some sort of... We are not doing? editing that out. <laughs> you, you shall live with shame and infamy mine is like pigs, for your mine stupidity is pigs, forever. Mine is pigs in a duvet, okay? And it's, it's still pigs fine. Duvet. It's still fine for breakfast. It sounds That sounds really luxurious. Pigs in a duvet. Pigs in Listen, a duvet, rolling up a pancake in sausage and dipping it in syrup is not the move. If you do that, you got to put eggs into the pancake with bacon and hot sauce and wrap it up mm. and it's a taco then. 
Okay, you're a goddamn amateur. Get out uh, of here. Contraire, au contraire. <laughs> Dipping it into a runny egg yolk plus syrup is my move. All of this sounds delicious to me, by the way. As a layman, <laughs> do this the sounds syrup, all but you sounds need delicious. some salty, and yes, you get it from there. But in general, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fine, fine. But listen, pigs in a duvet. I'm, I'm patenting it. Patenting yeah, it's it. Great. It's great. It's like telling trademark. someone from Europe that football's called soccer. What are you talking about? <laughs> what you do all the time. <laughs> uh, Christian Honap. Hi, Dave. Long listener of the pod. Love your work. Oh, and banter with Chris. Somebody loves this thing that's happening. Hey. <laughs> hope, hope you're staying safe during all of this. I've been having this debate with friends. Is stuffed crust the most revolutionary thing to happen to American chain pizza since its inception? I must reiterate the most revolutionary, not the best. Uh, even though I may secretly true think story, that's the Chris. Case. I sent when I was a kid. I sent a letter to Pizza Hut, right, <laughs> saying that they should put cheese into the crust. Mm-hmm. I uh-huh. believe Pizza Hut was the first pizza chain to do stuffed crust pizza. That's my fucking invention. <laughs> and I remember t- I I had my sister type it out on a typewriter <laughs> and I sent it to goddamn Pizza Hut wherever the hell it was in like 1983 or 84 because Pizza yeah. Hut we didn't have delivery that's where you would go when you go to McLean Pizza Hut when it was like a thing and I was like what why are people not eating the crust crust is the best part I was like how do I motivate people to eat crust you got to stuff shit inside <laughs> and then be like a stromboli I sent that letter and pizza I, fucked. They I want to talk. Me. I want to talk about cheese stuff, stuff crust pizza real quick. But first, I want to talk about young Dave Chang saying to his sister Esther, "Take a note, <laughs> take dictation." I got another letter because last episode you also wrote a letter to the cereal companies about how we should have all marshmallow uh, or all crunch, crunch berries. berries. Yes. How many motherfucking letters were you writing to your food companies as a kid, Dave? <laughs> I didn't realize I thought about food as much as I have as an adult, but I obviously did because. I was clearly right. They took all my ideas as a kid. And I, you know what? I still feel the same way as an adult. All right. So I don't think you said it though. Stuffed crust pizza, stuffed cheese in the crust, Pizza Hut. It's again overrated, a specific underrated. kind specific kind of pizza that you can do it, but it's it's so underrated. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Can I say something though? I don't like the framing of this question as if this is an American invention. Korea's been doing this all my life. The pizza that I grew up with as a child in Seoul all had stuffed crust. You were born like 98, dude. <laughs> <laughs> 94, but yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I got to say, stuffed, yeah, stuffed crust pizza predates you, Isaac. That's wild to think about. I, I'm sure it predates you basically me, just, but... You basically just said, well, before you talk about you know, baby suckling on breast milk. Korea, come on, man. Come on, man. That's ridiculous. But I mean, I don't know the I don't know the origins of this. I don't know if it's an American I just invention gave or you if the it's a Korean story. invention. I did it. You did I it did here it's, in, it's in the United Northern States, Northern Virginia, Virginia, dude. What are you not listening? Okay, uh, it was fine. a typewritten letter. Um, I already already got beaten up for my pigs in a blanket, so I might as well go for two rounds. I don't get down with that stuffed crust pizza, man. Oh, it's not for me because I know my cheese limits. And putting a little mm-hmm. extra cheese in that crust is going to push me right over the edge into into poo-poo town. Chris also hates puppies. He loves to <laughs> kick them. <laughs> he can't help himself. Cute if puppies. You, kick yeah, them. Just stuff a puppy into my pizza crust. Um, oh, my God. Ugh. 
All right, let me move on to another question here. Um, we got a bunch here of of sort of my opinion as fact has really sort of spurred some people to come with their questions for that format. Overrated, underrated. I'm just let's do a few uh, rapid fire. My opinion is fact style things. Rebecca Reinhardt, I have a my opinion is fact topic for you. Guacamole, over or underrated? Underrated when done well, overrated when it's that store-bought crap that is forever green with citric acid set and setting the color. That is, uh, that's gross. But here's the other thing. Why don't you just make guacamole yourself? Guac- guacamole question. at home is so, so good. Yeah. And it's easy. I wonder the same thing. I wonder if people have avocados as readily available as we do. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the three of us do live in California. What's better, Dave? No guacamole or store-bought guacamole? No guacamole. Okay. I think I agree with that. I also agree that pure, delicious guacamole is is dramatically underrated and that shit gets tortured all the time. All right. Elizabeth Swim uh, wants well, to know well, your... You know what? A good plug for Chili Crunch, Momofuku Chili Crunch on avocados just drizzled on top with some rice. That's done a it. meal right there. Do it. Done it. Ooh. It Ooh. Is, is not to be missed. I have done that exact move. Uh, Elizabeth Swim wants to know your opinions on persimmons. Uh, two kinds of persimmon. I like the soft when it's dried. I like the hard when it's ripe. And mm. I always forget the names. One's a Hiyashi, I think. The Hachia other one is and Fuyu. Hachia, Fuyu. I never fucking remember the names because I'm not in, I, I don't dry them like all the cool chefs. And um, I don't eat them. I don't love persimmons, mainly because it's something my mom would force feed me as a kid because Korean parents, Korean moms love Fuyu love persimmons. Them. Love, love them. them. And I just, I'm like, they're okay. i think that's true i mean my mom was a real persimmon evangelist i gotta say i like the soft ones if they're anything short of perfectly completely ripe like the single most astringent thing you can put in your mouth absolutely fuyu or hayashi hayashi hachia Hachia. You see, usually I know everything about food, but I care so little about persimmons. I, <laughs> I've chosen not to really, I don't care, not care. I just, it's not something mm. that I love. And usually if I don't love something, I don't study everything. You know what's the move? What's the move? The move is getting the right persimmons in Korean. It's hongshi and freezing them. And you, yeah. got, you have like healthy ice cream. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, my wife does that too. And guess what? You know what? I'd rather eat ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Healthy. You'd rather get diabetes. Good lord! It's just, it's fine. It's it's just I just think persimmon as a whole is overrated. Wow! Would you feel okay. the same if it hadn't become so cool to make hoshigaki to make dried persimmons every every restaurant like you alluded to? No, has I just think hanging? as a fruit, it's just not a it's it's not like a mango, right? A perfectly mm, ripe mm-hmm, mango mm-hmm. is 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 like I believe in God when I taste a perfect yeah. mango. <laughs> When right, I right, taste right. a perfect persimmon, I'm like, oh, that's really fucking sweet, man. I, <laughs> that's the thing you is know? it's kind of one note, right? It's just very, very sweet is what like a perfect persimmon tastes like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said I see God when I taste a perfect mango. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, persimmons. Wait, so let's. I, I want to follow up on this real quick because I did a no. Twitter poll, must have been six months ago, on like what's the best fruit? And Chang, you replied with a ripe mango. Yes. Like, do you still stand by that? It is. The Khabib of fruits. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> it is It is an undefeated champion. And I don't give a shit if it's ground and pound win. It doesn't matter to me. He's undefeated. And so is the mango. Bring it. And 
Here's the thing. All types of mangoes are amazing. You cannot say that about other fruits. And there's, I don't know how many varieties of mangoes. Perfectly mm. ripe mangoes of all the varieties are just unbelievable. And then number two would be oranges. And then three would be apples. Full stop. We don't even oh. have to have a conversation. Okay. I hate <laughs> apples, but sure. Erica Williams uh, wants to know how you feel about flavored soju and if you have a favorite variety. Uh, when I was uh, 18 years old, drinking with a fake ID, I loved flavored soju. But now that I'm an adult, I, I, don't, I don't drink such things. <laughs> you don't like you don't you don't get down with wine wine coolers anymore either. No, I love wine coolers, but flavored soju was to me a specific time and place when I lived in Korea and I was getting mm. blind drunk. You the know. best is peach flavored, in my opinion. But it's also, the thing about flavored soju is soju is already pretty sweet uh, compared to other spirits. And you're, you're making it even sweeter. And it's just, that's just too much, too much sugar. Yogurt soju. I'm I mean, if, if, if Hugo grows up only drinking um, flavored soju, I would expect him to have only pooed in the potty training toilet his entire <laughs> life, right? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Here's, here comes the machismo. Here comes the bro. Well, when you were when you were drinking in college, what flavors were you getting down with there, Chang? How how do I know? I was bl- blacked out drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Chang's answer: alcohol. I was drinking alcohol. <laughs> uh, Ruby Lau has a question that I'm going to use as an opportunity for us to do a plug here. Any plans for Priya to come back on the show? The Recipe Club is a super fun listen. Ooh. Ooh. Before we get into that, I'm not trying to espouse or promote blacked out drinking. That was not as even a joke, but I did drink way too much in my younger <laughs> days. So, and I don't remember a lot, and it's not something I'm proud of. Just want to, for the record, state that. And going to someone that did not live life like I did in college is Priya Krishna, who is uh, going to continue to join us on Recipe Club. And we are working on a cookbook together, and uh, we are going to hear a lot more, Priya. Yeah, and Ruby and anybody else who's missed this announcement, um, the Recipe Club debuted this week as its own podcast uh, as part of the Ringer Podcast Network and Spotify. You can hear the first episode, which was Turkey, and it came out on Tuesday. And if we don't crack the top 50 for podcasts, you will never hear Priya Krishna ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. She was, she not in podcast, not she in life. Out. Yeah, it's her fault, not not your fault. No, 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 it's never our fault. <laughs> okay, uh, um, David Robleski, I've loved the pod, especially the dad's episodes. I have a five month old son. I'm a nurse, but I took off work when COVID started to protect my pregnant wife at the time. And then when my son Henry was born, I wanted to stay at home. I wanted the stay at home dad experience. I have a lot of privilege because I'm a doctoral psych nurse practitioner program. So I have access to loans that don't have to work. That said, I feel like I've gotten some pushback from certain people in my life saying I should work right now. I feel like there's pressure on dads to provide for their family when I'd rather have a secure attachment to my son. I also don't have a lot of male friends I can rely on to share my feelings with relying more on my female friends or wife have you and chris felt these societal pressures as a father what what exactly is the pressure that he's i think that he wants to take some paternity leave i get it i want to all i want to do is be a dad even though hugo now is in his literally terrible twos and he's only 20 months old and i'm like how long is this going to last because now it's crazy so maybe i won't spend so much time with hugo at home (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding i'm just kidding I, I think, I mean, listen, like, let's let's set it down as a foundation for this conversation that 
maternity leave and universal access to maternity leave is is far more important, I think, and and that moms have it way harder. I didn't take any time off. You didn't take any time off when Hugo was born. I didn't take any time Actually, off. Actually, didn't Keith take any time off at yeah. all. I took, I think, three days off when Grace is in the hospital, and then we had to open up Kawi. So I, I was, I was not present, and I am yeah. present now. And 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 I, I I wish that I had the ability to take time off. And I think that again is something that we need legislation. It's not about the private company or anything. This is something that it needs to be a societal change. All right, so let's let's move into a question from our iTunes page. We've got five stars from Allison in Minneapolis who says, my husband and I cook all the time and rely on nonstick cookware for pretty much everything. We've gone through three different brands of highly reviewed nonstick pans in the last year. They just don't seem to last very long. The nonstick coating scratches and wears off even when we use nonstick friendly utensils. We both work and have a 10-month-old, so we lack the diligence required to maintain cast iron. Before we buy our fourth round, do you have any recommendations or more durable nonstick pans, or should we just buy cheap and realize we'll need to replace them regularly, or are we doing something wrong? Well, it's a good question, and I'm working on a project that, and have been working on a project that I will announce soon enough, but which doesn't give me the the position to talk about this objectively. So I will say this, not all nonstick pans are built the same. And there is a whole bunch of lies, straight up lies being told and have been told in the pots and pan industry for years upon years because no one's ever questioned it. And the reality is you watch commercial about even ceramic coating and spraying. It's all that. It, it, it may work for three or five to 10 uses, but then the coating will wear off. And without going too deep into it, not all nonstick are the same, but to be fair, it will over time, like lose its ability to be amazingly nonstick. But if you treat it properly in a good one, it should last you. I don't know how many years, depends on how many use it, but that's what you got to remind yourself is nonstick skillets and the good ones at that need to be treated with care. And it's not something you could just sort of like throw around. They're not all able to be resistant to super hot temperatures. You can't always put them all in dishwashers. You can't always use scrubbies. Like it's not something that you don't have to think about. And it's even with the nonstick tools, I've seen it. Some of them still have sharp edges and will scratch. So I only use wooden tools or silicone like really soft, like rounded silicone tools for my nonstick stuff. But I, as a whole, something that is key to how I cook at home is the Anilon 14-inch wok, nonstick wok, that I love a lot. So that is my multi-purpose thing. And yes, there are a lot, and you do need to sort of resupply it throughout your sort of use of it. And I could talk literally all week long about nonstick skillets. So I'll just shut the fuck up right now and just say it's, if you're using it, eventually you will have to replace it. But uh, if you treat it well, it should last you longer. And I, I know somebody that uses that walk and treats it very well. And it's five, six years old and it looks brand new and, and cooks beautifully. So I, I think like, you know, Dave, we've been talking about doing a lot of different podcasts moving forward. And we want to, we want to sort of expand from the kind of conversational ones and do some more deep dives into food topics and things like that. And one of the things that has come up over and over again, I think we'll eventually do is a real exploration of, of nonstick from like a historical and scientific perspective, because, you know, this question at its core is about 
a fear of that Teflon and what, what, when it comes off and starts flaking off. And, uh, you know, this is something Dave and I talk about all the time. And actually, Dave, I haven't mentioned to you that my daughter, since before she was born, my wife has been part of this hospital study that was like, what is the effect of household goods, including Teflon on the (laughs) intelligence of your child? So for four years now, my wife has to like answer surveys that say, is your Teflon scratched on your pans? And can your daughter answer these questions? So uh, I think that that's uh, I, well, there's a up. lot there's there's a lot of to talk about that and Teflon. It, that's another thing. Teflon people believe is unhealthy for you, but that's not true. And th- I can't talk about it right now. We'll go deeper into this, but there's a lot of misinformation out there. Yeah, certainly is, and I think it's interesting that they're still asking this question after all this time. Uh, let's go out on one more question from Sabrina. I love your podcast, Excelsior Forever. Excelsior! I'm a a long-hauler COVID patient, and I feel nauseous a lot of the time. When you're sick, what do you eat? Kanji, any specific kind of soup? Anything your mom gave you when you were younger that helped? What's your your sick food, Chang? I almost always want yukejang when I'm sick. I need something spicy. And yukejang is a beef broth beef-based spicy soup with, um, you know, if you're not familiar with it, it's uniquely Korean and and that's my go-to. And then it's always, always chicken soup too. That's what I make for everyone else. But me personally, I want a very extra spicy bowl of yukijang. I'm a pho, pho person when I'm sick, but it's always, it's, it's some sort of noodle soup, right? It's yeah. gotta be some sort of noodle soup. I also like tonju. You know, like the, the gingery miso pork stew that if you watch mm. uh, Midnight mm. Diner is the only thing on their menu. That's another rainy day one for me. I go with the uh, salongtang, which is the, mm. the oxtail soup. Uh, you know what? I change, I'm going to change my answer. I like pancakes and muffins and uh, very sweet <laughs> breakfasty items as the <laughs> things that restore my health. And, and more specifically... Sausages wrapped in pancakes dipped oh in God. maple syrup. That is in uh, some some people's imaginations, pigs in a blanket. And that is the tonic that will cure all. So that's what I recommend. Oh my God. Uh what where are you, Chang? Speaking of that, really quick, I forgot to ask you this question when you were destroying me over my pigs in a blanket. Um where are you on like Farmer John's package breakfast sausage? So good. So good, right? I mean, honestly, Jimmy Dean's <laughs> breakfast sausage things popped in a microwave. I know that it's bad for the world and the environment. It's probably made with all kinds of emulsifiers and bullshit fillers. But I grew up on that stuff and popped in a microwave. Woo! That is a good breakfast. <laughs> That's a good breakfast. That's a good... You're feeling uh, sick and depressed. Just eat a whole pack of those things. Um, That's, frankly, all the questions I have, guys. Great. I gotta go feed Hugo. Thank you guys. Keep on sending in your questions to ask Dave at majordomamedia.com or give us five stars on our iTunes page. And if you say nice things about Chris, it will make him happier and will improve this podcast significantly. <laughs> and uh, if you want to send Isaac a consolation trophy, please do. <laughs> Talk to you guys soon. Bye.